Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Um, welcome back to Heat Fiction. I'm here today with two very special guests. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, I am Chris, aka Gore-Tex on Twitter and Instagram, or you may know me as my screen name, Balenciaga Crisis, as most people usually refer to me as. So yeah, hello. Well, yeah, I'm Gian uh, at Rev Giant on Twitter. Um, formerly the podcast, but I don't have one anymore, and it's it's freeing. So there is there's no follow up here. <laughs> you have nothing to plug anymore. No podcast no to promote. Not a, not a single thing. Well, um, I'm really glad that you guys came on the show now because we've been trying to do this episode for. Well, this is our second time trying to record this. Yeah. Um, started talking about this like literally like three months ago. Yeah. But um, the reason I invited you guys on is to talk about um, true crime. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on true crime? <laughs> <laughs> this is like a really broad that, topic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big question. Yeah. That's yeah. um, <laughs> true crime. Many. Uh, um, so I, I think uh, I have been like, as you started talking about this topic, I had been reading um, the book of Matt, which is about the killing of Matthew Shepard, which I think is the first piece of true crime I had um, probably picked up in a long while. Uh, and then in, in doing all the extensive research for this episode, I think you'd sent through a, a series of um, particularly popular like true crime YouTube channels and podcasts. I, I kind of had no idea that this existed, like, or I was ambiently aware of it but I'd never heard a single episode of something like serial or whatever. And um, I, I, I watched my way through a few and, and I was struck by uh, how much this is just like entertainment for people who like uh, no ambiguity whatsoever in their lives. Like the, the true crime narrative, right. Is always about like some journalist or reporter or, or YouTube or whatever, inserting themselves into the narrative initially and then completely, you know, no, no gray, just black and white, like, well, there's the goodies, the baddies, the victims, the, the criminals. Uh, and then it proceeds in a completely linear narrative. Um, and, and that's it. That is, so it's, it's, it's entertainment. Uh, it's pure entertainment, but it's not even very well constructed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's very simple and it's very high stakes, right? It's like life and death and good and bad and everything is very simple. And as you said, like black and white, it's easy. It's very easily digestible. Well, and what's, what's amusing to me is how many of the, the in terms of the, um, the, the genre is people like wisecracking as they're doing that, the, the ad read for HelloFresh or whatever, and then going into oh like, God. and then she was brutally, you know, raped and murdered by, blah, and then, and then the cracking, like wisecracking the whole time. It's bizarre. Yeah. It is kind <laughs> it's of totally inconsistent. I like the ones where they're like, I do not condone this every five seconds. Like, the, like <laughs> and then he brutally <laughs> bludgeoned her to death, but I do not condone this. And then they'll go into like a different, <laughs> into like doing an ad or something. Yeah, no, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, so there was one where somebody was uh, talking about how they were not um, attempting to kink shame or cast aspersions on the BDSM community or something. Oh. It's not, it's, it's just not some bad apple. That, it was yeah. one of the weirdest. And that was the effort that came off the back of a, you know, I use Surfshark to protect myself online. Like, what is this content? Who is this for? 
<laughs> I mean, you know what's yes. funny though is that um, there's this guy. He's like um, like a mutual and online friend of mine called Lemurian Time Warrior. He always talks about how um, serial killers are kind of the original content creators because so much of content online is dedicated to crime, and because like you know, murder itself is kind of like content. The way people consume it is that basically, yeah, serial killing is kind of content creation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's hilarious, especially Lemurian time warrior, because that's like Nick Land type stuff. And I went into like a Deleuzian hole of serial killers and like <laughs> playing M and stuff like that. And I was just like, I was thinking about it's like, yes, girls and gays internal externalize their death drive by wanting to be murdered. <laughs> It's true though, women drive. 100% women, but like women kind of perceive murder as a form of flattery, right? Like that's part of the reason why women are so obsessed with it. Yeah, like, oh my God, you want to kill me? That's Yeah, it's kind of hot, (laughs) like in a very disturbing way. But like, I think it's also because, I mean, most of the stories, like most of the true crime stories that we hear about like young women being murdered, right? Like no one's talking about like the grandma who was like, bludgeoned to death by like some random guy like it's always like oh young and beautiful and so full of potential so there's like this element of like innocence and youth preserved that appeals to women as well i feel like right well and and the and the serial killer genre um has a sort of a a male gaze about it though in terms of like Mm -hmm. um you know, for, for, forgive the analogy, but it's sort of like, um, you know, in the, the 90s drove a sort of sequence of sort of porn like gangbangs where the number of participants got larger and larger. Like it's it's a it's a hundred, it's a thousand. Well, I feel like serial killer, um, serial killer sort of uh, mythology, right, is tied up with like, oh, they killed a hundred people. Well, this one killed 200. He's even worse or more monsters. There's, sort of, there's, a, there's an erotic heightening that goes to it of like, um, it always has to be more or more salacious or more depraved. And that's sort of like the thing that gets people's interest, but it has that kind of ever consumption, like an ever growing consumption to it. Yeah. No, serial killers actively do and know that too. There's especially ones like the Boston Strangler, like he specifically went after like old women because he knew that like once they were like and you would pose them in like really fucking disgusting ways like so when you walked in you just saw like this your dead grandma just like splayed out with her legs wide open just like the most like you know horror horrific shit and he did it for a reason and he chose his victims for a reason because he knew that that was like going to be like people were going to flip out exactly <laughs> they're the original content creators he found his yeah. niche and he was like people are going to lose their shit when they find out what i did to their grandma so yeah i mean serial killers are like actively were actively performing for an audience right but it's like a very 20th yeah. century concept like serial killers are kind of the perfect content creation creators for the 20th century like it's all about like you know like newspaper um quizzes that they'd send in or like newspaper columns and stuff like it's all about like slow media production well as i feel like the true crime thing of the 21st century is obviously like mass murderers because it's like faster and quicker and it's like more extreme yeah for, like it's just like bam it's like that it's not like this log drought out thing where it's just like this mystery person who kills somebody and then you may not hear about them again for like seven years or something like they don't do it again until then and also like there's like you know shows like Hannibal and stuff like that and I think a lot of it uh 
the act like the material reality of like the crime scenes and things like that like all that stuff gets romanticized so much like of like and when in actual it's not like this Hannibal Lecter like this like you know ultra like intellectual ASD like you know doing these elegant murders and posing these people in these like beautiful artistic ways like no it's like some fucking psycho like retard who fucking like is coming in his pants as he's strangling a little girl like you know he's like oh I'm gonna come on you uh." like it's not cute and it's like they don't like they're not doing these intricate elaborate things 90% of the time it's just like Right, but it's the, the framing of it, right? It's like the yeah, way that stuff gets framed. Yeah. It's like, because yeah. um, one of the books that I read to prepare for this episode was called Program to Kill. It's like a yeah. famous book in like right-wing, yeah. whatever, Twitter circles. And it's all about how like serial killers are basically like a CIA plot slash conspiracy to like yeah. cover up... Um, See, I did not pedophile, know satanic I, yeah. rings. I had, yeah, I had no idea that it was like so big into like uh white right wing circles and stuff like that. Because when I first started, when I heard about it first, I thought it was I legitimately thought it was more of like a like a Freudian delusion analysis of like serial killing and post-modernity type of thing, you know? So oh, I was wow. Like, oh wow. So this is like what they're talking about, like how capitalism, like I thought it was gonna be like you know, deterritorialization <laughs> and region, like all this stuff. And like, no, it was basically like <laughs> like MK Ultra, CIA mind control, like it was good. It wasn't, but I was just like it very much went into like when it talked about like the satanic uh pedophile rings and stuff like that. And I was like this is kind of leering into like satanic panic, like culture war type stuff. I'm like, that's come on guys. Like for real. And then another thing that I had an issue with was like, they talk about um, how like the CIA had hypnotized people into like almost killing people or like that they like, they done this hypnotization test on someone. um, And they got her to believe that her coworker was an active threat to her. And then she pulled a gun on her and tried to shoot her, but the gun was because it was an experiment. And I was like, there've been plenty of like uh, analysis on hypnotization. Like it is a thing, like you can't hypnotize people, but one of the like things that they've never been able to understand is like, if you hypnotize a person and tell somebody to kill somebody, they'll snap out of it immediately. And he never goes into that. He never like goes into that rebuttal of like, well, there's been plenty of research on like trying to hypnotize people into either harming yourself or harming someone else. And that the fact that like your consciousness takes over at that point, um, and kind of like how talks about how like what the subconscious willingness of hypnotization is and like the willingness of like giving yourself over to other and they never go into that and I was like that's a big like that's a big caveat in like the study of hypnotization is like why you can't hypnotize somebody into either a hurting yourself or hurting someone else and they never go into that I was like so how is that it, it also seems to it like hard to in, in that you know particular experiment about hypnotizing the woman to you know, hurt her, her coworker. Um, how do you control for how annoying the coworker was and how much right. she was kind of asking for it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was just like, I'm not hit as I saw. I'm just going to kill this bitch. Like, <laughs> it's like a good excuse. It's what, the, what is that movie called with, um, I completely forgot her name, side effects or whatever. Like about that woman who like sort of um, gaslights her therapist into thinking that the pills that he gave her are the ones that made her murder her husband. Oh, wait, is this a recent movie? Because I think I've kind of heard about this. 
I think it came out in like 2014. I'm pretty sure it's called Side Effects. It's with, um, she's married to Joaquin Phoenix. What's her name? Rooney Mara. Yeah. Okay. I have heard of that. Is that what that movie is about? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's a really good film, but, um, no, but I think, but the, I mean, there are a lot of issues with that book. Like a lot of the, like it skips over a lot of things. It's, it's kind of, but I, I do like sort of the theory, um, that, serial killers are kind of like content creators to the extent where the creation of a serial killer as a concept was sort of a narrative deliberately created as well you know what i mean yeah yeah because like the whole sorry go for it (laughs) oh sorry i was just gonna say i mean there there was the kind of classic narrative um in the soviet union that sort of um, they didn't have serial killers because they were actually a product of sort of capitalist alienation. Right. And to some degree, they might, you know, I think you can you can quibble with that. But but there is a sense in which they were certainly a product of like capitalist media. Like oh, they yeah. just, you know, it's since since the time of Jack the Ripper, right? These these like these stories sell, and they're so compelling precisely because it's yeah sexy and dangerous or whatever and. Um, but I feel like it sort of almost had a separate development from the from true crime, right? Which you think about the like sort of classic examples there, like um, in Cold Blood or whatever, or even um, it's a later like Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil or something. These sort of very successful yeah. like true crimes. They're actually usually about these kind of like one-off crimes of passion or sort of an, like the the, the ser- serial killers actually kind of make um, almost poor true crime. Yeah, I mean. They make for good TV shows though, right? Because it has to right. be serialized. So like when yes. I feel like sort of the serial killer obsession boom that's been like going on since the early 2010s happened because of like binge television, like, you know, like TV shows and prestige television, like binge watching and Netflix and all those other things where it's like, you need multiple stories to be able to adequately tell that story. It's like, um, like Ryan Murphy loves to do that stuff. And David Fincher does too. Like, cause he made Mindhunter, right? Yeah. He made um, seven in the nineties. Like, I guess probably one of the most famous serial killer movies. Right. Um, and then Mindhunter is kind of like the logical extension of that, which yeah, just works a lot better in serialized form. Like those narratives just function better that way. Yeah, and like, like when I touched on like Hannibal earlier, and Hannibal's like a big <laughs> Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs, the whole Silence of the Lambs, Manhunter. I, I love it all. Like I love all that whole, like that whole series. Like I, I like the series and I like the movies and things like that. And that's funny that the USSR s- said that when they had Andre Chikatilo, <laughs> who was like, who killed like <laughs> yeah. a fuck ton of people. <laughs> like, well, I think, I think probably one I think of the most brutal was- serial killers. Right, right, and and I'm 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 half remembering a factoid about that in terms of I I believe that that was sort of the reason he was so surprising was probably because the the public at the time weren't necessarily aware of other cases because they were sort of not necessarily broadcast through that frame of oh it's a serial killer, um, and then it kind of I think became maybe a little hard to keep that narrative going after he uh, came on the scene. Right. Exactly. He also so. appeared in like the late eighties, right? Like right before the fall of the Soviet Union. Or if I'm I don't know if I'm messing right. up my timelines. So that was kind of like during Perestroika right. and like the sort of like the changes that USSR was going undergoing. Yeah. No, but I do think that they're definitely a product of um 
media <laughs> in general. Yeah. But as I said, like that's why I think why mass shooters are only sort of becoming a thing now as well, because the, the mass shooters are kind of a product of social media and 24 hour news cycles and just like media that needs big events to sustain people's um, attentions over like a longer period of time. Cause the suspension doesn't do it right. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell a story about um, a serial killer and sustain attention anymore. These news cycles die too quickly. So it's got to be something really big. Uh, Stephen Paddock was just a gift, a gift to media, right? I mean, people were glued to their televisions for 24 full hours. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, first, uh, he was the Vegas shooter. Oh yeah. Duh. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not well-versed on mass killers. I know. What was the kid who was driving around his BMW? Who was that? The insult killer? (laughs) Yeah, the insult killer. The hot one, Elliot Rogers. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. I just remember them for what they did, not their name. (laughs) So so go go back to, sorry, your, your point. Your point about the uh, the, the um, things like Mindhunter and that sort of retelling the story. The interesting thing about those is um, the intersection with like they're they're almost more of a police procedural. Like Silence of the Lambs is basically a police procedural. Um, yeah. And I wonder right. about the you know the rise of shows like you know CSI, um, uh, SVU, and Criminal Intent, all those Law and Order, all those ones. Um, it's like they're really just the same damn thing, just told through a different character's lens, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's the same story. No, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's like the prestige element that's given to it by like these big name directors and sort of like, yeah, Netflix and whatever. They give it a different kind of effect. But I think also what's interesting about all of that is that what, because yeah, like there are police procedurals, but they're kind of, they're oriented towards more of a male audience, I feel like. And when it comes to women, it's sort of like the old fashioned gothic serial killer story that's like more effective. Cause I'm thinking of movies like um, natural born killers and like, mm. you know, like that kind that kind of storyline or like even like the Moore's murders, like Ian Brady and Meyer Hindley, like that has a different kind of gothic romantic element to it. Well, and there's no projection of, um, that kind of idea of sort of, or sorry, the only projection of that like male power, right, is from the killer. That's he, he, he is exuding the, the the dangerous sexual energy, right? As opposed to, as you say, the sort of the police procedural, right? It's it's about the the strength of force is in hunting the hunting them down or stopping the bad guy. Um, it is rendered in those same like kind of totally black and white shades right i mean is it though because when i'm thinking about movies like natural born killers it's more of a i mean it's attempting like a social critique right like if anything yeah. i think the point of that movie is that oh yeah like the media is what shapes the serial killer and like serial killers are actually like victims in their own way and whatever like i think there is a bit more of a i don't know if there's more ambiguity to it or if there's just more sort of romance to it in the way that it's framed well i, th- I think it's a, it's a um, it, it is an appeal to sort of sex and danger, I think. And I, I don't think, you know, um, compelling character development that takes place to that to get you to that point, right? As I think in terms of almost rendering them as a full character. I would feel like um, even in, out, outside of the, um, the fiction genre, like when you sort of start hearing these humanizing stories or tragic backstories to killers, mashers, serial killers, whatever it is, it sort of always feels like it's in the service of trying to provide a, like a, a narrative arc or a, a, a 
a, a journey, a, a development uh, for the character um, that they would, that would then like to sort of render as monstrous immediately. It's, it's, it doesn't ever feel like it actually achieves any humanization. It's more about like creating a contrast to say, oh, we didn't expect that such a, such a nice young man would, or, or this horrible tra traumatic upbringing look. And now look at these monstrous things. Let us let us, you know, uh, deliver to you all the gore that you want. This is the cum <laughs> shot right here. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like trauma. It's literally, it's literally all about yeah. trauma. Trauma is like the easiest way to convince someone that. I mean, it's the easiest. It's the easiest way to appeal to people. I feel like. Oh yeah. Right now, like, like a tragic trauma. backstory will always do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like what I was, because uh, I said like paranormal stuff some more of my bread and butter to be honest with you but that uh demi lovato like netflix ghost oh god, god. <laughs> damn it where she's like this ghost has trauma and then her annoying gay guys so was like oh my god the ghost has trauma i'm like <laughs> jesus fucking christ these people learning about like woke language was just the worst thing that ever fucking happened <laughs> This is like this ghost has trauma. What are you talking about? You're just talking to nothing in the dark. Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I that's kind of true though, because ghosts always do have trauma, right? Yeah, like, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> like they were probably brutally murdered. Of course yeah, they do like, have trauma. <laughs> so great, great, I mean, I'm interested because because of your interest in the paranormal stuff, um I mean it, it, it surely there's a contrast to be drawn there between like it is the existence of a backstory that creates a, um, you know, takes a, a a normal human and and turns them into a, a monster, as yeah. opposed to sort of paranormal stuff always starts from the premise that like this is just a malevolent force. It doesn't need any explanation for why the ghost is trying to you know upset your furniture or that the werewolf is trying to bite you, or whatever. Right. Um, I, I mean, does it though? Because I'm just thinking about like I don't know classic like horror stories like um the haunting of hill house or whatever like that kind of stuff where i mean there is always sort of a, a tragic backstory to all of that stuff i mean like the evil is never really explained but it's explained why the evil is there right like what attracted the evil to that place in the first place like oh yeah like this house is haunted because i don't know a family was brutally murdered here like 20 years before or like i don't know um someone like drawn their kids in the bathtub like it's always kind of like that very sort of shocking <laughs> but, but i think the, the it's always taken it's taken as red that the malevolent force is just malevolent by its nature it's it's yeah. essential to it like you know, it's just so it has an origin story, but I think it's less of like a, um, a a development arc to get you from the assumption of sort of a normal, a normal, you know, happy, a happy, beautiful child, and and the things that turn them into the the monster before you or the the, the true evil before you. Oh right, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. In that in that way, paranormal stories are always they always accept the fact that evil just is that evil just exists in the world, and that's something we have to like accept as a given and like work and live around it. Whereas well, I think true crime now tries to yeah explain all of that stuff away through like trauma and tragic backstories and all yeah. of that. Yeah, and I don't. Well, think and it's. it's a, I'm sorry, I was just saying, and I don't think that's necessarily like I think that's um, a very. That's the word I'm trying to think of. It's very low effort of trying to explain this stuff. And this is like some of the shit that like just doesn't have an explanation as to why like Jeffrey Dahmer did what he did. Like Jeffrey Dahmer didn't have 
I mean, he had family troubles, but he had like, he had a mother and a present mother and a present father. And like, if he hadn't had the things that he had, he would have grown up to be perfectly normal and would have died, in a, died of AIDS in 1992, like everyone else in his generation. Let's be honest. Um, RIP or Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> But for real, Milwaukee, he would have been Milwaukee's own. Um, Milwaukee's own. There you go. Exactly. So like, it's and it's kind of also the thing of like where I, when it comes to paranormal, is like I know I normally believe more of what uh, what Gion was referring to, which is like this this unknowable malevolent force that you're not going to really understand what it is or why it's here or what and it's like a lot of the stuff i'm like i go back and forth on if i believe it or not i don't necessarily always believe like oh this is a ghost of a victorian child and blah 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 like prove it how do you know that like how do you know that this well a medium told me she made that up like that's not a real thing that happened (laughs) this is just like in a form of energy that you are like trying to put these like human conscious explanations onto and Kids. Well, because we try to narrativize everything, right? Like it's like our ever-present desire to like create a narrative out of everything. Like we need not only do we need an explanation, we need a story arc, and we need like you know like a progression of that story in order to be comfortable right. with something happening around us. I think that's also like well, but- I mean that's that's the case with all true crime, right? Especially like when there's a true crime story that doesn't have a logical explanation. When it's not like um, I don't know, yeah, like a crime of passion or something that can be, or you know, just like a I don't know, like an evil serial killer running around, which I think people have come to accept when it's just like a random one-off murder, like a random, like Mm -hmm. one person snaps or whatever. That's when people really struggle to understand that story. And I think that's when it kind of becomes canonized in that way. It's, it's interesting. The, the rise of things like um, psychological profiling, both, both in, in reality, but also in fiction, um, like think about something like Silence of the Lambs, right? Is you know the, the hero of the story is a, a crack psychological profiler. We have so many yeah. more of those. Um, um, it's sort of perfectly, you know, the rise of sort of like um, psychiatry, like bad psychiatry, the sort of individualized explanations for all pathology, right? And psychological um, or psychiatric explanations for sort of every pathology in society and every ill in society is actually at root a psychological problem. You sort of had these experts that became the heroes of sort of explaining the wrinkles around the edges of reality. And then I think in the, in the paranormal space, you started getting things like paranormal investigators that are literally yeah, just oh the God. same one, yeah. filling the same expert-shaped hole. Um, and every piece of media has sort of done that. Then you get things like uh, mass shooters, and we haven't got a corresponding expert. We sort of have these law enforcement guys who sort of stand up at a press conference and shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, we don't really know. Um, you know, unless they can say it's terrorism, everyone's like, oh, this is unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that's why they always blame it on like um, white nationalism or whatever? Because that's the easiest explanation yeah. they can come up with. Because it's like, oh, he's oh, yeah. just a white nationalist. That's why he did it. Not because, <laughs> not just because he snapped or not because there's like a malevolent force behind him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, go, going, the idea of going postal has sort of gone out of fashion, right? That was a, a loomed pretty large in people's imagination, right? The idea that sort of somebody just on on the edge would just sort of snap one day and, and go postal or whatever. Um, and instead, yeah, now this sort of has to be a deeper rooted ideological suspicion or or traumatic, you know, tra- it has to be, you know, trauma in the shape of Elliot Rogers being too, you know, rejected by too many girls or whatever, or, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, a white nationalist or something, something kind of fundamentally political or, or it's terrorism. 
Right. I mean, it's probably terrorism and white nationalism at the same time as it kind of seems to be in the US all the time. Like, you know, like the whole Dylan Roof thing or whatever. (laughs) No, it's, uh, but it's, yeah. I think it's funny that that's kind of like the explanation that people are drawn to about everything now where it's like, oh, it was a hate crime. Like that's the, you know, like not, like people don't try to get behind that. Like, what is it? Like, why is it that someone's like driven to hate a particular group so much that they'd be willing to do that? But it's always like, oh, it's just, the hate crime like they're just racist like there's there's nothing else to it it's it's also like a much scarier thought if if if, um if you were to walk around with the belief that anybody who just has hate in their heart might at any moment go start shooting up clouds or whatever that's like a that's actually a pretty bizarre belief to carry around with you the world must be a very scary place yeah i mean i don't i don't personally believe that i kind of you know, I, I do think it requires a few other ingredients, but um, yeah, yeah we, we, we're not even told that it's acceptable to look behind those reasons. It's sort of considered suspicious, maybe to investigate further. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, not to go off topic, but kind of like, this, you know, like when that fucking guy, Jake Flores, like retweeted that Joe Rogan thing, that was like, <laughs> was like how did you get a swastika out of that? Like, and it was just like a fucking like that strong men make, good times or whatever you know that like i think yeah. it started a red scare podcast with alex jones i don't think it's coincidence that everybody find like started talking about that when he was talking about that in that episode and so he just posted that meme and then like <laughs> people were like making a swastika out of that and i was like it's weirdly racist that you saw that like <laughs> the weird reach that you had to go to to like be like see joe rogan's joe rogan's a fucking racist or whatever and i was just like oh my god like yeah. right like you must be going around your life just constantly looking for these signs everywhere yeah, it's a horrible like, way to live <laughs> yeah just constantly just trying to find just fascists like early like, see they're fascists see look at this thing that i just did it's like you're fucking insane like that is like that is like conspiracy theory like you're just losing your goddamn mind like jake Jake flores literally tweeted um he's literally just tweeting uh swastikas now yeah it's like no jake flores drew a swastika and posted it on the internet yeah yeah only one person did this yeah (laughs) yeah nobody like when i first saw i did like the first thing i didn't think of was like oh my god fucking swastika joe rogan's doing mask offering (laughs) 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 we're talking about like people just like constantly just like doing stuff like that we're just like oh my god i don't know (laughs) no but yeah i mean people do that with everything right it's like looking for a context when there is none or like looking for signs that are just not there it's like people are just constantly gaslighting themselves (laughs) they seriously are and then they take it out on other people in the most insane ways like it's insane like how much bad faith reading people give to other people (laughs) jihan has this happen to him all the time in his podcast it was like if I were to believe all these people on Twitter, I would think like Gion is like the most evil person on the planet. I'm like, you guys are fucking insane. Like Gion's a complete sweetheart and has nothing but like compassion for people. And it's just like, I, how do people get themselves worked up into this? It's seriously the crucible. Like the crucible still <laughs> true to this day. And you can apply to many different things. Like the crucible back then was about, you know, anti-communism. And these are communists being insane anti-communists. It's like, you guys are... <laughs> All ideological weirdos, like I swear to God, to them communism is just like turbo turbo liberalism. (laughs) It's just like Jesus Christ. 
Right. But I mean, it's like looking for context when there is none, but also like refusing to see. It's like, no, like it's like thinking that everything around you is evil, but refusing to see real evil and looking for like some tragic backstory when there is actually real evil, you know, like somehow saying bad words on the internet is worse than like murdering people because murdering people is like forgivable. (laughs) It's like the whole thing where it's like, I do not condone. Like it's the same fucking thing. Like, of course you do. If you're posting about it, if you're, you know, if you have, if you're part of a fandom dedicated to someone who like, murdered 20 people than you are condoning by definition it's like you either accept it or you like i don't know like try to live with yourself yeah it is like but just you think it's, this, it? it's 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 the, it's the search for those very very simple narratives again and it's maybe it is the true crimeification of reality in terms of like um any like it has to be a, a completely linear sequence of of logical steps from you know bad individual <laughs> to bad things happening. And, and like, if anything doesn't fit that, people get really uncomfortable. I think I mentioned I was reading uh, a little while ago, the, um, the, the Book of Math, which is uh, a guy named Stephen Jimenez is a gay journalist who basically looked into the story of Matthew Shepard yeah. um, and, and, and went back on, you know, who obviously that narrative was, yet again, perfect, perfect little angel. Um, Matthew Shepard becomes a martyr for, for gay rights at a convenient moment, is used as a sort of giant fundraising cudgel. But um, it turns out he was probably dealing meth and having sex with the guys who killed him, and there was probably a meth killing. Um, but but the, the backlash to that book when it came out, which is pretty well-researched, um, it, it was insane because people just did not like that narrative being disrupted and saying that it was actually, there was something suspicious about even looking for a narrative other than the perfectly logical sequence where one, one side is good, one side is evil and like, um, you know, and that the, the evil hurt the good and et cetera, et cetera. I know that was very revealing to me. And I'm, you know, I don't know, don't like to dig too deep into like that mass psychologizing politics, particularly not through the lens of Twitter, but I mean, it is sort of a similar sort of like, it's the, yeah, it's the actual transgression of the narrative is what you're getting the backlash for, not even really what you're saying or doing. It's more to even to even attempt to step outside the, the, the fixed structure or the fixed narrative is the suspicious act, the, the, the potentially evil act. Right. Yeah, I think I was like, uh, that's what I remember because I didn't, I hadn't read that book, but I thought like I remembered reading the um wasn't the actual story that he was like dealing drugs it was like a drug deal gone bad type more type of situation than you know what it actually happened <laughs> he did actually have, like have sex with like i was like okay so you know what i find really interesting different. i think it's really weird that people in order for people to feel bad for victims of crime and murder those people they need to believe that those people are 100 percent innocent like somehow, you know, somebody getting brutally murdered during a drug deal gone bad is not good enough for people to feel bad for them. They need to be like an innocent bystander who just got caught in a line of fire or whatever. Like it's never like people have such trouble accepting that both the victim and the murderer are both just like human. Yeah, especially like martyrdom type murders like that or like um, right. the one that happened where I grew up by it, Tina Brandon um, or Brandon Tina, which probably he would have been now I, it was what 1993 when that happened right yeah because i this is a funny story is like i grew up in the town where that happened and i lived right next to the house i actually went to a birthday party at that house like four years after it happened <laughs> so because there was a girl in my class that moved into that house afterwards it's not there anymore it's now just a cornfield um they tore the house down but yeah it's uh 
nowhere near as salacious as that. Like, Breda did not absolutely deserve to get murdered at all, but also was not a perfect human being by any way, shape, or form. Because basically, how the whole thing started was Brandon fell in love with a girl um, in Fall City, which is a town that's about 20 minutes south of Humble, where I grew up. Um, that's where she was staying. He was staying was in Humble. Um, um, and the girl he was into was in Fall City. And he led her to believe that he was a cis male, like all of that. And then when it turned out it wasn't, she flipped the fuck out. And she told the guys that basically, you know, in her mind, she thought she had gotten raped, essentially. So I'm not going into that ideological minefield. I am not stepping into that. I am just saying this is what she said. <laughs> so it's not like he was a perfect human being. He obviously did not deserve to get murdered. Or none of those people deserve to have anything that happened to him in any way, shape, or form. But again, you know, not a, not perfect people. It wasn't like just a completely innocent person that this had happened to. There were events that kind of led to the situation he actually did not deserve to get murdered but you know at the end of the day he did do kind of something sketchy to a girl there so you know like have you noticed that the um the the, the, the youtubers who do um uh true crime stuff i've noticed they um they have a, a particular like visual trick they pull uh, is that they always, after the, the HelloFresh endorsement or whatever, it's a sponsorship <laughs> message and the jovial banter welcoming people back, it'll be stock drone footage or like tranquil scenes. It'll be a sunset or rising up over a lake or something. It's, it's a tranquil scene. And this is, you know, the, the immediate clue that, ah, oh, something it's going to go wrong. And they almost use that to explain away any complexity of the character of, say, the victim about yeah. their life. Because instead, it's a, it's a try and then some childhood photos, you know, immediately because children, you know, innocent. Right. And so it's sort of sort of a like this instant like setting up of this. Um, it's just a template. You can you can play Mad Libs with like, oh, the victim was, you know, short with uh, blah, blah, blah. And they had dark hair. Um, and, and that's it. But it's always the same damn story and the same visual treatment to tell that story. Right. Yeah. There are certain visual cues that all of them use. You're right. I'm just thinking about the one that um, I used to watch during like a really dark period of my life. And that's how all of her videos would start. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like every like even though like there's ID channel and there's like multiple channels that are just dedicated to true true crime or like have vast chunks of their programming that is all just true crime and it's like i don't really watch a lot of those like because it's kind of just like i don't need to watch another series on like the texas killing fields <laughs> like you know <laughs> some or like some lady who like disappeared and was never heard from again and stuff like that and which is a, what the majority of those are is just like especially like i was watching like the very first unsolved mysteries like the first few seasons and like a lot of it is just literally just like Cindy went to the store and that was the last time anybody said just, just fucking gone. Like they're gone. Like you don't hear, they have no idea what happened to them. They don't know who took them. They don't know any, like the person just disappeared. And I'm like, that's actually like the most terrifying to me is like, you just disappear. Like nobody knows what happened to you. There's no explanation to where, like where your body is or anything. And like, you might might maybe a hunter will stumble upon your skeleton in 30 years or something you know like 
And then they, even then they're just like, we still don't know what happened. Like it's, oh, it's so like. It disappeared. So banal, you know, <laughs> it's like so dismally banal and it's like depressing. It's like, it is, but also at the same time, the disappearance stories are kind of interesting, right? Because they step outside of that easy, good, bad narrative storyline that all of the other yeah. true crime stories kind of adhere to because they're more ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, is like not really, but I, they kind yeah. of are. <laughs> the, and the point of that, which is a show that I fucking hate and I used to hate listening to it and I don't listen to it anymore is like that fucking last podcast on the left show. I fucking hate every, I hate the three people that do that show fucking they would openly say that they don't do disappearances because it doesn't close the narrative and it's like yeah because that's what you fucking need is like you fucking need the narrative so that's why you don't do like the tons of people who just go missing like who just disappear you know and to me that's like way more terrifying (laughs) because this is like you don't know what happened to them. Were they killed by a serial killer? I'm honestly convinced that each one of our fathers has probably killed at least one woman in their life. Like, just saw a woman just like walking down the street. And like, I'm gonna kill her. Like, sorry, <laughs> I'm just convinced. Uh, you think think my dad's putting certain... up low numbers like that? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain generation of men who are just like, I'm just gonna kill that lady right now. <laughs> For all the people that just like, randomly disappear, I'm like, that is like just it had to be like some guy who just one off was just like. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill that lady who walked down the street. And they just never get caught. And there's like, I just killed a woman once in my life. And that was all I needed to do. So only, that's my narrative. <laughs> all the people who just disappear and that's all It's either that or like pedophile, satanic ritual cults. I mean, <laughs> those are the only two options, <laughs> yeah. clearly. Satanic pedophile cult. <laughs> or random people murdering random people. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I think that it's interesting that people, yeah, disappearance stories aren't that popular, but I think it's because they're obviously scarier, but I think true crime is not about being scared or even like shocked as much as it is about sort of having your, all of your suspicions confirmed, right? Because part of true crime is trying to guess who did it. Like in the ways that in which these stories are often set up are, okay, these are our four prime suspects who do you think did it guys? Right. Like it's, it's like just trying to, it's kind of like ASMR in a way, in like a weird way where it's like, you know, you know exactly what, when they like ask you a question and there's only one right answer and you feel like, you know, and you know that right Right. answer. So it's like calming when you say it out loud to like just confirm your own, whatever ideas and suspicions and intuition. Yeah. Especially like, uh, like the West Memphis three, like who actually killed those children. Cause I, absolutely was not the West Memphis three who did it. Like they absolutely didn't do it, but it's like, that's like who actually did it. You know, you're never going to know because in the state of Arkansas and Arkansas's eyes, the West Memphis three did it. So they will never. Wait, I don't know the story. What happened? Uh, West Memphis three is one of like kind of one of the stories from the satanic panic era where um, mm-hmm. these three kind of, it was like in this small town in Arkansas, um, these three kids i think it was three three children um were found like murdered and submerged in a creek and they blended on uh these three kind of outsider uh kids um who were like into like heavy metal and stuff like that they were just kind of like the weird kids from there and they did the whole narrative that um they were in a satanic cult like <laughs> pretty much how program to kill uh was talking about that the reason that they did it was like it was a satanic cult murder and blah blah, blah and they brought this like um, 
grifter, like one of those satanic cult grifter people who would go and be like, I'm an expert on satanic cult killings. And this was a satanic cult killing. And these three did it. And essentially uh, all these documentaries came out about it. And like, I think Sean Penn, was it Sean Penn? It was a leasing or Pearl Jam uh, heralded their innocence. Like there was a bunch of celebrities, like Johnny Depp, like all these celebrities got behind uh, freeing the West Memphis three. Cause it was very obviously clear that they didn't do it they were just like the weird kids in town that they pinned it on and so they eventually uh um they always maintained their innocence and they were going to be executed and uh they basically arkansas was like we are not going to let you free even though we know you didn't do it we're basically going to force you to uh do this weird uh, non-confession where it's like, you will confess that we did not do anything wrong as a state of Arkansas so that we can still say that you killed these children, but we will let you go and we won't kill you. And so they were like, or two of them got life sentences and then the one main one got a death sentence. So the two said, okay, we will do that so that you don't kill our friend. <laughs> so they let him go. And they essentially were like, in the state of our eyes of Arkansas, they did the crime, even though they absolutely didn't. So, you know, you're never going to know who actually killed those children. And this is the thing, like a lot of the stories now about the West Memphis three is like who actually killed uh, the three kids. And it was like, they think it was like uh, either one of the, well, they say, because if you watch the HBO documentaries, HBO documentaries are heavily biased against like one of the kids' fathers. And they implement pretty heavily that one of the kids' fathers (laughs) It is. Oh, a lot of people were super pissed about that because they were just like all this circumstantial evidence. They're <laughs> basically like, this kid's dad did it and stuff like that. So, yeah. But I mean, I don't think in stories like that, it even matters who did it anymore, right? Because the narrative yeah. becomes the persecution of the crime, not the crime itself. So it kind exactly. of flips the story in that way. The narrative changes yeah. in that way. Yeah. Here's about, about those kids who got murdered. Yeah. It's literally all about the persecution of the crime. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's exactly, I feel like the, um, the, the, the true crime format. And I think it kind of speaks to maybe the, like the personal motivations of people who produce true crime fandom materials or whatever. It's like, it's usually a victim centered narrative, right? And that's why it has to have a resolution. Cold cases are not interesting. It's like, we get, we get to know the victim. Then, as you say, we sort of laid out the, the the multiple choice question of who done it, and then cool, great, the the the, the conclusion is reached. Um, whereas I think some of the really great true like crime fiction uh, takes like it, it actually just lays out who did it first, right, and then tries to tell you the story backwards. I mean, um, the the executioner's song. Um, oh, I example, love that uh, is, <laughs> Yeah, Norman Mailer, right. Um, you, the, the murders, the, the, the victim's murder are completely incidental. I mean, it's, it's a enormously long book, right? And they probably appear in about three pages. <laughs> um, that's, uh, you know, but very, very radically different, right? From the, um, the classic thing, which is, and I notice all these YouTubers do it as well as when they pair mm-hmm. podcasters, they insert themselves into the narrative. Right, it's them having their personal reflections on meeting the victim's family, or you know, revisiting the crime scene and, and their their impressions. It's, it's a really a, it's a very strange, like egocentric yeah. view of like a, a crime, right? I blame that, right. but it always has to start from the victim as a proxy for their own interest, <laughs> for their own sort of non-prurient interest in the case, right? Because right. they can't just be that they're horny for the gore. It's they no, no. It's like I I have connected with the victim, and now it's actually my story told through the victim. <laughs> 
Right. But it has to do with the nature of the mediums used, right? Like that's the thing about like writing a true crime book. It's very different from doing a podcast about it. Like the nature of podcasting and the nature of like doing a YouTube video that requires improv. Like it's all about improvising sort of, yeah, inserting yourself into different narratives into different points of view in order to be able to tell that story through that medium. So I think, yeah, I think we could blame it on the medium, even though it is just objectively kind of disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did the execution song come out after In Cold Blood? Yeah. Because I know Truman Capote wanted Norman Mailer to fuck him so bad. Like, he was so (laughs) horny for Norman Mailer. And he was really horny for the killers in 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 Cold Blood, too. Like, the whole book is about how bad he wanted that one guy to fuck him. Yep. (laughs) Well, that's Truman Capote for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) Cold Blood came out in, like, the 50s, I think. Yeah. And the execution song was, like, later. Yeah, 70s, I think late late 70s, maybe mid 70s. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, and in, in Cold Blood is, is uh, you know, it was famously written in 15 days or whatever because yeah. it's such a linear narrative, right? And like the uh, I like the Gore Vidal said, that's not writing, that's typing. Oh, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's reportage at some point. I mean, and given that it's such a sort of cut and dry narrative, um. Yeah, they're sort of fictionalizing yourself into into the narrative is like cool and all, but that's what the podcasters are doing too, just less artfully. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think um, it's actually interesting that you bring up that point because I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, I think in in a way, our sort of thirst for true crime stories also comes from the fact that it's so hard to write good fiction now. Like, good fiction in general that takes place in the now is very hard because no one really knows how to define the moment. And these true crime stories, they kind of the nature of the event itself defines sort of the framework in which it needs to be presented. So it makes the job for people really easy, right? So it's like, I think that's why so much true crime gets written now because it's it's just easy. Like the narrative is there for you. You literally just mm-hmm. need to write it down. You can do it in 15 days and it can be artful yeah. and it can be cool. You can just insert yourself into the narrative. Plus I think fiction and even like the fiction that does come out now, because what I'm thinking about is like, um, like I don't know, like thriller novels or whatever, or like something like... Um, Gone Girl, or there's another yeah. book called Dark Places by the same author, which is actually like about a satanic panic uh, killing in the 80s. Like, it's still like even the fictionalized stories are still focused on the same things because it's just easier to represent those narratives when they're already there. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're ready. They're ready made, and um, the the ins- I mean, it, the degree to which um, it's certainly in the like fan channels am- amateurs on youtube or podcasts not the what is that media group that runs serial and all of these damn things um oh, but like the, 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 the low the low budget ones right um they're often just reading from wikipedia like yeah so it's not it's not even just that, that the narrative is figuratively there for you it is literally there for you <laughs> they are literally yeah. reading a wikipedia plot summary effectively exactly right. yeah so like especially like uh I'm telling you guys before, like uh when I went on a date with a guy, <laughs> went back to his place and he had like turned out he was a, what I call a meet and greet gay, <laughs> where they uh um they would get really into like doing the VIP tickets of meeting niche people who do shit like that. And like he had uh <laughs> pictures up of like fucking 
like every single like RuPaul Drag Race cast member that ever came through. And I was like, oh no. And then he had pictures of him with the fucking last podcast on the left guys. I'm like, oh no. And then he had pictures of him with the fucking my favorite murderer girls. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. I was like, never mind, man. Like we're still gonna have sex, obviously, because I came here and I'm just like, but we're not dating. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do this. Like like fucking last podcast on the left and my favorite murder oh lord i was like i can't imagine like doing that just to like spend the extra money to meet those five fucking degenerates (laughs) like god damn can we we talk about the celebrity of those people for a moment like the last house on the left and cereal and the um the deer uh what is it sorry dirty dirty john um that's a huge one right um, yeah, they, they have horrible, horrible voices, and you know I don't want to speak or whatever. I'm sure people don't like, but they just sound dreadful in that medium. It's all got all the slick, you know, NPR microphone, like close mic, super compressed bass yeah. voice, and it's yeah. all that like, and it was, but like horrible voices. Um, <laughs> and I don't, yeah, I, I'm like really, awful. yeah, my favorite murderer, especially like those, like and the like fucking paranormal podcasts are the worst like they're the most boring to listen to and i used to hate listen to fucking last podcast on the left because at least like those idiots took some improv and like kind of made it entertaining where it was like they were like they could be funny and um they eventually just got like way too fucking just like the most insufferable type of liberal like where they're just like well, yeah, well, of course I fuck escorts because it's empowering to them. And it's for, like, I'm empowering uh, this OnlyFans <laughs> girl by sliding into her DMs and asking how much for anal. And it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. They're those type of people. Like, and I'm like, I this. And they sound like radio host DJs. And so I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't listen to this anymore, even though, like, they talk about, you know, stuff that I do find interesting, you know? Like, when they talked about their 9-11, they did an episode on 9-11, and I really liked it just because, like, they actually talked about, like, the shit that people went through on, like, in the towers and stuff like that. And that's, like, that's what I find interesting. And it's probably a little bit of the macabre thing of, like, why I, like, like listening to serial killers and shit like that. And it's weird, like, finding, like listening to people's stories of like being in the most terrifying situation you could ever imagine yourself being in, which is a being killed by a serial killer or B, you know, being in this huge, like fucking calamity that you have no power over of like somebody fucking flying an airplane jet into a building that you're in. Cause you're not going to, you have no idea what the implications of that were before. And you just know shit is happening, <laughs> you know, like, so I guess that's more of what I, I kind of gravitate towards those narratives a little bit more away do you think that what attracts you to it is like an adrenaline rush that you get from it like sort of like i'm so fucking glad i'm not in that situation i was thinking yeah exactly what i was talking about um when i was jokingly talking about uh the freudian externalization of your death drive i was like there is truth to that i believe there is a truth to that i do too yeah that thing of like what they say i've never experienced this but i don't know if you have where if you're like on the roof of a building they say some people have like an urge to jump like to run and jump off i have never experienced that ever in my life but i know there's people that say that when they're on the top (laughs) of a building they, they do have that like um intrusive thought of jumping off the building and stuff like that. And I was like, I think there is like a little bit, I think there is truth to that of like hearing these type of situations and like imagining yourself in them in a weird way. It's like a safety, like, I think it's like, cause if you think about uh, 
the like the rise of like these prolific serial killers was like what late seventies to early nineties, like slasher movies became huge parallel to that. Like there was like all these movies like were basically um, embodying those type of narratives, like Friday the 13th, Halloween, all Mm -hmm. these things like these movies became huge while these stories were becoming very prolific and things like that. So I think there's also, I don't think that's a coincidence either. <laughs> slasher slasher films became huge as that also the media focus you, on serial killers was also. Do you think it's just like the conditions of a late stage capitalism or whatever? <laughs> or like, yes. Or like, we blame everything on capitalism. Blair. Shut the book. Yeah. <laughs> late stage capitalism. Uh, <laughs> or, or, um, or I don't know. Again, satanic sex cults, or um, <laughs> or it's what, like, what, it's what, the what same story. It's just like a different, like it's like instead of like blaming everything on like late stage capitalism, they're like it's this like understanding there is a problem, but diagnosing it in a completely stupid way, which is like it's all late stage capitalism, or it's all like satanic panic, or it's like all satanic child murder cults. What was that theory you had last time we recorded? You were like there was lead in the water in the 70s? Oh, yes. (laughs) I thought Program to Kill was going to also talk about that, where one of the theories was that because lead was in everything back then, like, especially during that time frame, like, when all these serial killers became of age to be like capable enough to kill people like uh they had lead in everything like lead was just on everything like no matter what you touch it had lead and they do that that there are like uh do show that um lead does affect if you're growing like in children it affects the part of your brain that uh controls empathy and things like that and the part that like makes you understand that you shouldn't kill people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you don't want to kill people or whatever. Um, but this, this was the Freakonomics theory, which was yeah, it's a Freakonomics. The, the drop in violent crime yeah. was yeah, was covered with um the removal of paint and then Roe v. Wade. Such yeah, idea exactly. All the all the all the all the unwanted children that would surely grow up to be violent criminals. Uh, Is that were, what that was in? Boarded. I was like, I, yeah, because I was like, I knew that yeah. was in something where they were talking about how lead was in everything, and then um the reason why it like fell off in the nineties was because by that point. uh they had taken lead out of everything and stuff like that. And I was like, oh. right. Cause I think things like leaded, leaded gas was phased out in the, I want to say seventies. And so you're sort of looking at like 20 years later, the idea of violent, you know, violent crime started dropping precipitously. Yeah. Cause like they explained true. away by that, but I'm not, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I ever found that quite compelling. Yeah. Um, it's like, if you sort of correlate, <laughs> if you correlate this with, 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 um, with like sort of actual, like real wages and things like this, I feel like there's some some pretty direct economic correlations you could probably draw that are more interesting and like crack, but it is an interesting thought at least. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I agree. I absolutely agree. I agree that I think, uh, even though I said, I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer became a serial killer because of his parents and things like that. I think there were probably instances of which, who the fuck knows of Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer is such a fucking like, like, how the fuck did you end up the way you did? Like, there's really no, like, you can't pinpoint a single thing on Jeffrey Dahmer as to how he, I feel, I honestly feel like if we had the capability of technology that we have of sex dolls in this day, and we gave one to Jeffrey Dahmer, then 
Because that was his thing, was like he wanted... He would, he would dismantle it. Yeah, he would just... <laughs> God damn it, here's another dismantle one. Dismantle people and need it. Yeah. yeah, he was like, he was like, I just don't want them to fucking move. Like, it's like, yeah. here, like, here's like a fucking sex doll that looks exactly like a fucking 18-year-old Laotian boy. You're good to go. Or 17, whatever. I don't think he really gave a shit about age as long as they looked young and were Laotian. I don't know. But his, really his whole thing was surely, I mean... That's sort of, I mean, like, the, the, I feel like he's almost an easier one because it's so sort of obviously psychosexual. Yeah, um, it does. True, and yeah. to the extent that, like, it's become it's become very trendy, right, to take out of the equation, like, or, or to put trauma in as the substitute for all these other things you could say about, like, how brains actually work and how minds work and how, you know, we we are um, still yeah, have base it's, animals and we are yeah, motivated by material yeah. things. Like, so anyway, it's, it's a, people search for obviously reasons for Jeffrey Dahmer to be absolutely. monstrous and can't find the usual yeah. pat ones, but it's like, yeah, no, something, something wired wrong. <laughs> I absolutely do think there are material differences as to how, I think it's a perfect storm where if like you were just like chemically, chemically in your brain, like you are capable of doing something like that. And then a material circumstance happens that pushes you over the edge. And I do think there are different material circumstances as to opposed to like Jeffrey Dahmer or like another type of product killer who he killed because he wanted, he wanted to play in the guts. He wanted to like fucking cut your head off. He wanted to like fuck your head, all this shit. And like Ted Bundy who got and like the BTK killer who they got off on the act of killing you. Like they right. wanted, they, their, their thing was the killing of you and Dahmer and like Ed Gain, they were like the stuff afterwards. They didn't like killing people. Jeffrey Dahmer was always very open that he, that was the worst he hated doing that. That's why he did it the way he did because he didn't want them to suffer. Like he just wanted the body afterwards, but like Bundy and all those people, like they were like the killing of you was what they wanted. I think there are like, right, I, mean, but- I wonder what the material differences are of like what if you are on the verge of becoming a serial killer, what sets you off to being like, I only want to play with the body, all this stuff. Like I just want the like the guts of it. And then the other part where it's just like I get off on seeing the terror in your eyes leave as I am like doing something horrendous to you. I wonder what that is, but maybe I'll last the last podcast on the left, guys. I'm gonna email him. <laughs> if I ask them what motivates them when they do their murders, I should have read the book and we should have talked about it. <laughs> I just you know didn't want to support them. Yeah, don't support them. You know what I find really interesting is that even when they talk about serial killers who, yeah, were clearly motivated by like sexual things, it's always very sexless. Like even if there's rape yeah. involved, it's always like, oh, and then he raped her. And it's like somehow yeah. there's no sexual undertone to it whatsoever. Like it's like, oh yeah, he like doing these things to women, like a very particular type of woman, but no, there's no like it's still sexless somehow. Like all of those YouTubers and all of those things, like they all make it sound really sexless. Yeah. Well, it's it's um it, there there I think there's you know, both sort of linguistically or it's because they're actually just um I mean most of these YouTubers are they're just using tropes that they've heard from like what would be daytime, you know, PBS crime documentaries or whatever, largely. And so the like raped and murdered is is kind of just kind of rolls off the tongue as like the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really not even right. uh, it's not even an act. It's not even an act of, of one person to another. I mean, it's kind of just a, a a noun that hangs there as like the the pretext, the narrative you want to construct around it. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's completely divorced to the fact that like the killer clearly is like coming in their pants uh, yeah. the whole time. Yeah, that's what I was um, talking about. Yeah, I was like the the narrative gets very much romanticized as to the actuality of like probably the event itself, which is like the ugliest man you have ever seen in your life is standing over you killing you. You're like, oh, I'm coming to my pants. Like, he's just like, I'm going to kill him. And he's just like fucking shooting ropes all over you. And it's just like the worst thing that you can ever imagine. <laughs> like, Cause that's what the fucking, cause I, when I was listening to like, uh, the BTK killer, when he fucking killed one of the like fucking kids, like all the brutal facts is like, he like came all over the fucking place as he like was watching this girl hang. And so this is like, yeah, that's not very sexy. Like, you can't make... <laughs> there's no sensuality in that at all. Like, the ugliest man you've ever seen in your life just coming all over the places. He's killing you. Like, yeah, I don't know how you make that. That reminds me of the... Um, sorry, just just you talking about the ugliest man I've ever seen coming everywhere. Reminds me of the, the most egregious one is the BuzzFeed uh, Unsolved guys. Oh, God. Um, oh, God. <laughs> who, um, their style is like wacky hijinks while they're discussing exactly this kind of thing. Like, oh, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's killing her and, you know, what it like, and they're just wisecracking in that horrible BuzzFeed overproduced style. Um, what is that? Like, how? Uh, I don't I don't understand how anybody watches this. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's, it's, actually, it's actually gruesome to watch. Like, and I mean, in the truest sense of the word. It is very dark, yeah. Yeah, it, it is very, it is very dark. Yeah, I, I remember watching like one of their. I think it was the John Benet Ramsey case that they covered, and it just like the way they talked about it, sitting in this like horrible Buzzfeed like brown room with like a weird skeleton <laughs> on the side or whatever, oh, and, and just talking about this like little. Oh God, it's disturbing. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, I think this is overproduced graphics as well. Of course. BuzzFeed doesn't do anything without those. (laughs) I mean, I think there is something to be said about just like the overproduced style of all of these podcasts and documentaries. As you said, like the audio sounds in a very particular way. Like all of it just has this like, yeah, over-edited, cleaned up element to it. But in terms of like... like, Bring back to Truman Capote, but as he said, uh, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I think there's a lot of... What it is, I think it's also a lot of like the romanticization of like Syracuse. So we were talking about like the secret kind of like romantic, like the <laughs> that tribe of like, oh, I want to be murdered by a serial killer. Like, I feel like this, like what I was talking about, where it's just like the, like the romanticization of that narrative kind of overshadows the reality of like how awful and disgusting it would be to actually because they're not Hannibal yeah. Lecter. You're not getting off to my Hannibal Lecter. I'm sorry. You're getting right, but I mean, like the serial killers showered for seven days, and like <laughs> all you can smell is the most rank meal you've ever smelled in your life. Yeah. Like, oh. Well, right, but it's like not. But it's not. I mean, those cases are popular, obviously, because they're so gruesome. But those are not the ones that get like romanticized and like no, you know, plastered all over Tumblr or whatever. Like the ones that yeah. do are like Dylan Roof or you know people who were sort of semi attractive or could be like romantic and yeah, like sexualized in that way. Yeah. yeah, Ted Bundy as well. Like um, Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker. Yeah. He's like a popular Richard. one. Um, we haven't really I, had... Do you know... Do you guys think that there's a reason why we just don't really have like these like big like serial... Like Richard Ramirez like had LA in terror for a summer. Uh, I mean, government, I mean, government of leaded fuel. 
Yeah, that's why that's why everybody switched to mass shooting instead of like we don't have the attention span for serial killers anymore. Like, yeah, you know, it's, you just, yeah, it's like after it's all said and done, they've been caught, then it's like, oh, okay, but they're also not as like theatrical as they used to be. You remember like but there's just competing media, there's competing media properties. I mean, you you like you don't need there was there was one newspaper, you know, San Francisco San Francisco Chronicle would be writing for months about you know the Zodiac, Zodiac or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. And that's that's all that's all there was. But now we can like watch a movie or stream something else on Netflix and you just like who it's gives true. a shit. Yeah. Right. Also like I mean mass murderers are kind of like the way that they commit their crimes is kind of like the murder version of binge watching, right? Like binging right. stuff. It's like all at once. Yeah. It's very like concentrated, which makes it very effective and theatrical in a different way. Well, yeah, yeah, there's like no slow burn narrative happening anymore. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I, again, like, okay, like, I don't know, let's pretend that there's a serial killer somewhere and like one person gets murdered like every month. Like people forget about it by like yeah, literally I'm the second sure. month. It'd be like, yeah. oh like, no. Sure <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are active serial killers now. We just like, we don't hear about it anymore and type of stuff right. or like in a big salacious type of way and then anytime like what was the lady that got killed in the grand uh like in a national park what was her name and then her but, oh the, the instagram uh, van life van life lady yeah I remember, remember that like yeah and yeah. immediately it immediately got overshadowed by like the woke narrative of like why do we always only talk about um white women getting murdered and stuff like that i was like I don't know. I don't know. Can't even be murdered like, I can't in peace anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like it's all of a sudden like her fault that she got murdered. <laughs> this stupid white bitch. Like <laughs> that, that became the narrative like immediately afterwards. Like that overshadowed the whole thing. So I was like, so I feel like murder oh, well, now just seems kind of it's not that aesthetic anymore, right? Like there is yeah. something to be said about like the, again, like the mediums are in use now where it's like, I don't know, like when you think about like someone like, yeah, like Richard Ramirez or whatever, or like Ted Bundy, you think of like how blood looks on film, right? Mm-hmm. Like you think of like these very sort of clear visual cues and visual elements that we can all envision because we've seen it so many times in movies. Well, as now it's like, when I think like, I don't know, when I think of blood now, I think of like the videos from the Travis Scott concert, right? Like it's just a different yeah. visual aesthetic that's not as appealing anymore. Yeah. And I think it's also, and it doesn't goes serve. into, um, sorry, I was just gonna say, I think it also goes into like, it's way easier to get caught now. Like you get caught so fast now. Like technology yeah. has- really- Oh no, we don't, there's, there's so much murders. Uh, yeah. Literally, I think we just more just don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's easier for a serial killer to get caught now. Like I think probably. Well, like, yeah, I mean, there used to be like no DNA evidence, right? Like yeah. that wasn't even a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. But 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 I I almost wonder like whether the act of yeah the act of murder is sort of so ho hum banal in the culture that like what um, it doesn't rise to the, to the level, and that's almost why you sort of require this like dramatized post hoc telling to provide that sort of catharsis that excitement right you need yeah. to get into the head of the victim um in, in order to kind of get that cathartic moment of like oh the terror and then the the death and then the resolution is the killer's thoughts of justice or whatever we mm. we identify them um and absent that it's kind of just neutral i mean it's it's it, the 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 evidence that like this is all just catharsis is the fact that these incredibly successful channels or whatever 
can sit there cracking jokes alongside it and nobody thinks that's weird because yeah. the actual murder itself is not horrifying it's there's nothing people people are completely numb to it i suspect right yeah, yeah. i mean we're desensitized that's true like completely desensitized you know like like when you grow up watching that stuff on the internet all the time, like, I mean, it's like, it's a very cliche example and people like bring it up all the time, but you know, like ISIS beheading videos, like when you, when you grow up watching that stuff or like, what, like, I don't know, looking at like gory pictures and like Reddit or whatever, like Like you you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, you don't care. I mean, it's like blood, whatever. Right. And again, I think there's from, from reality. Right. And I think, again, I think it also has something to do with like, just the mediums we use now there's something about digital cameras that kind of makes everything seem fake right <laughs> like, the, the yeah. hyper reality to it all yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's like hyper <laughs> real right so it's like looking again like looking at a video of like a person dying at a travis scott concert doesn't even seem real just because of how bizarre it is and how bizarre it looks in the context of that like being filled with an iphone like for snapchat or whatever yeah. like it's not it's not the same thing. I think also because there were so many serial killers in like the 20th century and like so many like horrendous crimes, we've come to associate violence and the look of violence with those mediums. So like, you know, when you think of like, it's like, it's like snuff films as well, right? Like when you think of a snuff film, you feel you think of it in a very particular way. You think of it in like a, you know, like a very grainy kind of like camera quality. You think of it as like a, you know, like a, wood paneled basement like you have a very particular aesthetic vision in your head of what that would look like well i'm sure like snuff snuff films now are probably filmed in an iphone but you just like don't think of it in that way so it doesn't register in your brain yeah i think in the ring light yeah yeah i think yeah uh uh, baudrillard would baudier Baudrillard, however you say his name, Baudrillard would have a a field day with the current state of, like, the symbolic exchange of death to to, uh, in current times. He would lose his fucking mind. It's like, come back, help us with this. But but kind of, of, uh, like, um, you you can't underestimate also the fact that, like, we've had several televised wars now as well in terms of, like, the the scale of um, horror that we're actually sort of, and, and like, I, I think, you know, um, watching gore videos or whatever on the internet as a youngster definitely did some things to my brain. But you also have to sort of think about like a culture that ambiently just has a much more tolerant attitude towards mass death and violence and whatever else. And like, it's just the backdrop, right? And maybe it's just mm-hmm. doesn't kind of get our get our proverbial dick sweat anymore uh, to you know to to just hear about one killing or something or even yeah. even a, a series of killings so you're like who cares right unless yeah. there's a particular narrative to it which would engage us and it's like the thing with dirty john right like the reason it became so popular was because that story was just like so insane and it's not it's not the fact that, that lady was like scammed by this man or whatever it's just the fact that she was like really rich and really successful and like it, there have to be certain particular elements that appeal to people in order for those stories to stick now because just a murder just a killing just you know just a serial killer like doesn't do it anymore it doesn't like it's like at best just like schlock on id channel at 2 p.m on a tuesday you know <laughs> like just yeah. filler. and i think so. also it has something to do with the fact that like serial killers and like mass murders and stuff they just like don't look evil anymore and you look at like the morse murderers and it's like you know not no one looks more even than ian brady you know he just looks yeah hard yeah well now it's like (laughs) yeah i don't know (laughs) 
like it's true but i mean it's like it used to be like well even back then like richard ramirez was genuinely a terrifying looking man (laughs) he was scary looking he was very fucking scary looking but then you look at like john wayne gacy and it's just like the fuck (laughs) but then you look at Dahmer, and you're like okay yeah i can see it like he yeah once you find out like yeah that he does this Scary, but. Well, it's all well, 70s mugshots. So, whereas I thought that was interesting yeah. about um, the the Gianni Versace, the prestige television. What's that one called? American Crime or whatever. Yeah, American the, Crime um, Story. Where it's yeah. uh, Darren Darren Chris is Andrew Kananen or whatever. Yeah, and like him, him being hot and smooth was sort of the the hook for that, right? It's like mm-hmm. um, you know Gianni Versace, like the, the murder at the time, right, was sort of sensational, but that story kind of died. Like there was no. There's yeah. no renewed interest in that kind of until they're like, oh, look, we can we can find this hook for it. And the hook is, oh, he's young and like the killer is young and hot and, and smooth. I mean, that's what Brian Murphy does with everything. He's like, let's take yeah. this evil person, <laughs> make them really young and hot. <laughs> so everyone will watch this. <laughs> and it has to be someone who he has, he has exactly a type. Like- yeah he has a type yeah <laughs> he does have a type they all look exactly the same and i can't even i can't even think of the name of one of them if i did cheyenne jackson or whatever they all look exactly like him like that's yeah. the only one i can remember of the five guys that he uses that look exactly like i think one's name like finn something yeah there's a factory there's a yeah. factory in, in his basement somewhere <laughs> I mean, I know I bring this up all the time, but I genuinely think Ryan Murphy is probably one of the most evil people out there. I don't know. I think he's responsible for a lot that's wrong with our culture today. Probably like most of it. Auto, auto-tuned mu- musical theater. Um, I lay it that at his feet. And that, that's honestly a war crimes tribunal for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Like, it is, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, everything about American Horror Story and American Crime Story, and just like the way that he uses these narratives, and sort of, I mean, in a way, I guess he's kind of the postmodern artist of our day. Like the way that he yeah. sort of utilizes these, like you know, evil narratives and restructures them and like re whatever repurposes them. Like, I don't know if you guys ever saw that American Horror Story season. Um, 1984 or something it was called yeah um yeah, yeah like the one yeah. where richard ramirez is like a character and he's possessed that was by so the devil. Up. yeah that was so stupid but keeps coming back to life so the ghosts just keep watching kill him every spoiler alert but <laughs> are you fucking kidding me this is what you came up with Sorry, it's weird. It's weirder when you understand that that uh, that the American Horror Story and Glee are actually the same cinematic universe, and uh, then then his true <laughs> evil genius comes clear. That actually I know that's my shitty fan lot. theory. Yeah, I mean it explains a lot. Yeah, that's the conspiracy yeah. theory I really believe on. <laughs> I don't know about satanic sex cults, but I believe in that. Yeah, just yeah. murderous theater kids running amok. I mean, that's ultimately what serial killers are, though, right? They're theater kids. They're so fucking theatrical. There's no way. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real evil. Yeah. And everybody that goes to a last podcast on the left event is a theater kid also. Just doesn't have the guts to become a serial killer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Like the the courage. The victims, the fans, the killers, they're all theater kids. They're all yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all theater kids. <laughs> they're all theater kids. They're just stuck in this loop together. <laughs> <It's> like... 
they all just eat off each other. Yeah. It's like the snake eating his tail. The, yeah, exactly. It's a real death trap. It's just like a circle. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, God. No, yeah. it's... um. It is, uh, it is very depressing. I don't know. I mean, I think there's also something to be said about, um, like, the cutification of serial killers on, like, Tumblr and just, like, the girl side of the internet. Like, I don't yeah. know if you guys ever saw those edits of, like, yeah, like, Richard Ramirez and, like, Ted Bundy with, like, flower crowns. But I feel no. like once you see that, you, you don't, you don't get over it. Is it, like... A very fan, fan cams. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like fucking like uh leftist kids who like post like all the like thirst traps of Stalin and stuff like that, except it's <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Jesus I, I mean Christ. the way people talk about Jeffrey Dahmer and Tumblr, or at least used to before they like wiped all of that stuff out, it was like, yeah, like my you know, like my cutie pie, like <laughs> Like, you poor <laughs> what they did to my boy like that kind of stuff like that was the language uh, oh my god I I can't tell BTK and BTS apart for what it's worth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one can that's the secret yeah. exactly oh god no but it's, it's, it's like, just yeah I don't know do there's like a because... difference between um the true crime in general because i don't listen to like my favorite murderer and stuff like that because like the serial killer stuff it's a finite pool but on the other side which is like most of what fucking id channel is is like crimes of passion where it's just like fucking i caught my husband cheating on me so i killed him or something like really banal like i killed my husband for life insurance and stuff like that <laughs> or every once in a while you'll get a black widow like those can be interesting or just like lady killing lady slowly poisoning her husband to get life insurance and then they find out that she's killed like four husbands don't those tend to be kind of um like I'm thinking of things like forensic files and stuff like that. There, yeah. There's some procedural aspect to them, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the yeah. Investigation being unwritten. And like, I kind of, I can kind of fuck with that. I do feel like the very sort of like male brain kind of um, like taking, taking the crime apart and, um, or it's more like taking the investigation apart and laying the parts yeah. out and reassembling them. So like, there's a sort of, yeah. um, there's something quite mechanical about the format of those as well, but I find them less egregious somehow. There's, yeah. there's a little bit of like a aha uh-huh, look at look at this clever investigation we did you yeah. know oh, we found this key piece of evidence yeah like it's sort of a it's all a, an, an aha reveal yeah um, like the bane of the murderous theater kid is the someone with autism right, the, chess, the chess club artist yeah. investigator <laughs> This, yeah, because that's a big, like, a big portion of those shows is, like, not necessarily about the murder, but how they how they caught them, like, how they caught whoever. But do you think that framing technique, I mean, obviously, it, it appeals to men, but also, do you think that framing technique is kind of the producers of the show, or like, the creators of those shows, or different types of media just trying to like sort of um not feel as guilty about the stories that they're using to like make money off of them yeah. you know what i mean yeah. i mean i mean yeah, it's-, it, it's 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 post hoc yeah like yeah but they have to do it that, that way but i think it's also like it's a i think it's 
purely sort of market segmentation. Like you can tell the same story over and over again from different angles. And I think these shows that have these sort of long network runs tend to be these like procedural ones, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of funny in the in the in the sort of a a cab era, right? It's like yeah. ACAB <laughs> includes Olivia Benson or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forensic yeah. Files is called Ganda or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've read that somewhere. No, no, no I've read that about I'm Brooklyn sure Nine-Nine sure or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. Free, what yeah, guys- friendly reminder, but ACAB also includes homicide detectives. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if those didn't exist, we'd have more serial killers and they would have more content. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. God damn it. Yeah. Abolish the police about, at once. Yeah. yeah, abolish the police at once, maximize, con- maximize content production. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about um, female murderers? I was actually just going to bring, I was like, what do you guys think about Eileen Warner? Because the, the male murderer thing is very, like, very simple, especially if you look at it from, like, the female perspective, right? It's like, a, yeah. I, it's the I can fix him kind of thing, yeah. where it's yeah. like... Psycho, yeah. <laughs> Psychosexual, <laughs> I can't get my dick hard, so therefore I kill women. <laughs> yeah, but um, what about women? What, what I'm going to write a book too? about, I'm going to write a Freakonomics book about how serial killers no longer exist because of uh, Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, my take, my take on on female murderers is um, hire more women murderers. Yeah. Yes, finally <laughs> more like girl boss. Do, yeah, girls can do girls. Girls can do everything boys can do. And yeah, exactly. I, I believe and better. I, I, yeah, monster yeah. is literally probably. I would say probably my favorite like serial killer biopic. Uh, oh really? Say she was technically a spree killer. A yeah, spree she killer. technically was. But I mean. <laughs> What was it? Did you ever like um, read her? Like, because she wrote to her friend like all the time. So, like, those letters got published, and she talked about like her life basically being a hitchhiker because um, she was like a street person. <laughs> like, you know, she was a lot lizard. She was, she literally was on the dregs of society type of thing. She talked about once, like, on an overpass, she just, there was a fucking torso. Like, there was no head, no legs, no arms. She just, like, there was a torso in the ditch. She would write to her friend about, like, all the insane shit that she would see, like, while out on there. And I do think that, like, initially that um, she did obviously do those things to protect herself. But I think eventually she did enjoy it and actively started hunting for victims to murder. So she was also... Yeah, I... Huge life. I don't know. So. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess she, she's a little bit of an aberration. I think you can sort of she look really at that is. as yeah. a revenge, uh, you know, a sort of revenge fantasy. But I feel like they sort of the interest that people take in in you know female serial killers is just another example of like just this this woke mob coming for traditionally male spaces and trying to take that away from us. Like, let us have one thing we're good at, please. Like, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I think What's there are some really good quote? reasons to believe there's not many. Yeah. What's that Polly quote? It's like, there's no female Jackson Pollock because there's no female Jack the Ripper or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Is that serious? Yeah. Is that really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's true. I think you're right. Because, like, even then, um, with Eileen Warnos being an aberration, she would still, 
when she killed those people, she would still rob them. So like most of the female serial killers that I can think of, I can't think of any of them who specifically only killed to kill. The one who was in Illinois, I can't remember her name right now. Um, she used to lure men to her farm via like an ad saying she needed a farm hand or something along those lines, <laughs> like off them. And she'd take their stuff. Like, so I do think that like women who kill, I don't think the killing itself is the, I think they, there are women who kill who like enjoy the act of killing, but I don't think it's like the main motivation. I think the main motivation is like for something. So I think Eileen Warnos, she killed those people to rob them, but I don't think she shied away from killing. I don't think she didn't like the killing. I think she did and, you know, enjoy killing those men, but she also was killing them to rob them. So women are just more complicated like that. Yeah. Black (laughs) widows. Like the only time women kill to kill is when they're killing their children. Sorry. Right. That's true. Yeah, family annihilators and black widows. And yeah, I think that women you know, if you love like killing their children. Kind of, it's usually around, yeah, it's usually around like children or babies. It's, yeah. Oh, you know, I know that, that kind of um, that, that, that male sex drive that, you know, is just a, a hair's width between murdering someone or making tender love to them is, you know, right. always there. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> women also what? kill for love. What about Myra Hindley? What about, what, what about the couple serial killers? Who was the one yes. who, uh, what was her name? She shot her, the mechanic's wife. Amy something. Do you know who I'm oh, talking Oh, like about? the 17-year-old one? Yeah, it was like, what was... It was like in New Jersey. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was like was, 17. Yeah, yeah. She shot her husband because it was a big fucking trial back then because she was having an affair with this guy who ended up having like a sex tape and like all this because it was like all like this like these salacious just like fucking morally repugnant people just doing all this shit and she shot her she shot his husband because she was like in love with him she like knocked on the door she answered the door and fucking shot her ass what was her name yeah but still only did it once yeah she's yeah. not serious she's a passion killer another 50 a times. passion killer yeah. there we go yeah women are passionate yeah. about being passion killers or I guess women are passionate about passion killers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like Munchausen by proxy. They love doing that oh, shit. Oh, yeah, women love that shit. No, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> women are just like more romantic. They are romantic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any I mean, female no. Richard Chases. Could you imagine a female Richard Chase, girl boss Richard Chase? <laughs> <laughs> what's that movie oh my god i'm sure you guys saw the trailer for that it was made American by that Psycho lady it's like, oh well yeah there's that but <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what about american psycho um like not yeah okay because american psycho Great is movie. also weirdly popular with girls too right like yeah. wave girls on twitter he's love so american hot. Psycho. yeah he's so hot <laughs> He's not my the type. Worst men I can't. I knew, like, Chris Bale in that movie is so hot. Yeah, the worst man I knew like idolized uh, Patrick Bateman is the name of the character, right? Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Fucking no, but you, sorry, you're telling me he's not. He's not meant to be a likable character. I don't get it. <laughs> you should. Did I misinterpret no, this movie you somehow. Model yourself after him. <laughs> and it's well, that's somebody should that. tell. Somebody should tell California Governor Gavin Newsom. That he should, <laughs> should call him Patrick Bateman. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I know so many guys who modeled themselves after Patrick. Yeah, Trump. and unfortunately, yeah, straight up stole yeah, his personality. Yeah, yeah, like everybody's in love with this like very like ASD like intellectual serial killer like him or Hannibal Lecter, but they're never like that. Oh no, he's a total himbo. He's not an intellectual. Yeah. What are you talking? <laughs> he's just like, he's oh, he not does not an intellectual. The movie. Hannibal Lecter is an intellectual. He is not an intellectual. Okay, I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. But I mean, like American Psycho is basically a movie for girls anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was written by a gay guy. I mean, Brett, so, Brett, yeah, Brett Nellis is, is uh, you know, chiclet um, yeah. in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, he totally is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. He's, like, he's to the work. gay J.G. Ballard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> He's the gay Jacqueline Suzanne, honestly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but women love to romanticize stuff. I think that's the takeaway from this yeah. conversation. <laughs> and you should you wanna... love, love the serial killers in your life. You know, yeah. <laughs> love the serial killers in your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. 